Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I have a bunch of very cool things to talk about this week, and a sponsor stuck around for a second week in a row. Who would have thought? So uh, very happy to talk about them again. Um, it's going to be a longer sponsorship ad just because I don't just want to talk about a company. I actually want to share why I'm happy to be sponsored by them. Uh, so even if you don't normally sit through ads, give maybe this one a chance because uh, it probably answers some questions you may or may not have had. Or you already use them and it's a complete waste of your time. But come on, for the algorithm, <laughs> let that one play for me. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, let's jump in and see what we got this week. First up, Retro Gamer Store just opened pre-orders for a clear top only for original Famicom consoles. The price came to about $80 after shipping to the US, so wherever you live it might be a little bit different. And this was what I was talking about the other week. Um, since most of these Famicom consoles have decent shape bottom shells, Retro Gamer Store started out and may only sell just the top. And of all the consoles to have a clear top shell, I think this one works out well, both because so many of them out in the wild are very yellowed, but also because there's that neat eject mechanism in there, and there's the front controller expansion port. So it just it looks pretty cool. Um, maybe someday they'll consider also making clear controller shell replacements for it, or any of the other awesome additions that they could possibly have to this. But if you're interested, uh, you can pre-order this as well as any of the rest of them directly from Retro Gamer Store or through Castlemania, which is a big help for some people that might already have Castle Cash or just want to buy other things at the same time. So uh, definitely check out the post if you're interested. And it sucks that I have to keep saying this, but I apparently have to keep saying that these are expensive but you get what you pay for. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a Discord server or on a forum and I just see somebody go, you're the guy that promotes those $100 shells? What a ripoff. Like, no, these are not cheap, thin, brittle shells that'll break after a while. These are all equal to or better than the construction quality of the original. And in order to make them at that quality, you have to make a very expensive tool. So the reason things like this are so expensive is because Retro Gamer Store has to make them in quantities of 500 because they just barely, if not, you know, don't make that pre-order. And the reason that they're not less expensive is because you would need to sell them in quantities of 10,000 to drop the price, uh, especially if you're going through large manufacturing runs. So yes, they're expensive. That's totally fair if you think they're too expensive for you. Uh, that's a completely fair thing to say. But no, they're not ripoffs. You get what you pay for. And I'm very happy to purchase one of these because I have a, a neat Famicom that I've been messing around with for years, trying different mods on. And I think this would look very cool attached to it, especially because I have the new rear board in there with the AV output. And I've, I've purchased every other one of their shells, and every one of them I felt was worth the money. It was expensive, but it, in my opinion, was worth exactly what I paid for it, because they were durable, they looked great, um, they showed up in good shape. The only one that ever had a scratch on it was the one prototype that I told everybody, hey, it's a prototype, they're sending me one just to test out. Uh, so, yeah, you get what you pay for. They're, they're expensive, but if you're looking for a premium quality addition to your console that adds a neat aesthetic to it, I would definitely say grab one of these. And, you know, for the record, I keep all of my original shells as well. Most of the ones, well, except the one Famicom shell that was shattered into a whole bunch of pieces. That one just, I think I did keep it, but that'll probably end up going in the garbage or something. 
But, you know, it's one of these things where just because you add the clear shell doesn't mean you have to get rid of the other one. But you could sell it on eBay if your original was in decent condition and you just wanted a clear one instead. Or you could leave it in a closet in case you ever wanted to put it back to stock. So options are out there. Uh, I'm a big fan of all of these things. And I really hope Retro Gamer Store keeps making them, even though the trolls keep saying that they're too expensive. They're expensive, but they're awesome. This week's roundup is brought to you once again by JLC PCB. And this week I want to talk about how to order your PCBs right through them. So just go directly to the website, click on order now, and just hit add Gerber file. You don't really need to worry about anything else on that page yet. I know it's kind of intimidating for somebody who hasn't really done this before, but just wait for your Gerber file to load and then you could check any of the options you want below. Now, normally any of the options you'll need will be pre-selected based on the files that you upload, but you can tweak them to your liking. And I think the most common thing people might want to tweak is what color their PCB shows up as. So I usually use just certain color codes for prototypes and others for production, but there really isn't a right or wrong thing. It's just however you want to do it. After you're done, hit save to cart and then either sign into your JLC PCB account, or if it's your first time doing it, you can create one right there. After you're logged in, just hit save to cart and then view cart in order to view whatever PCBs that you've added. If that's the only one that you need, then just go to secure checkout and begin the checkout process. After that, it'll ask you to confirm your address, which I'm obviously not going to show here, but then you get to choose your shipping method, which I always think is pretty cool. If you want very fast shipping, you could select the first option, which is a bit expensive, but you'll get your PCB really quickly. The bottom two options are great if you're on a budget and you're not in too much of a rush to get it, and the price is really impressive. Less than $6 total for a couple of PCBs and shipping. And there's a couple other options if you're interested, but I mostly just either like to use the fastest one or the slowest one, depending on I'm in a rush or not. And after that, that's pretty much it. Just submit everything through and then enter either PayPal or your credit card in order to pay for it. And you'll pretty soon get some confirmations that the PCBs are being made and then another confirmation after they ship. So that's pretty much everything you need to know to have basic PCBs made from jlcpcb.com for under $6. This weekend was a pretty big deal for fans of the Sega Saturn, as it was the 27th anniversary game competition. There are so many amazing things to talk about, so I'm going to give a basic overview here, but I strongly recommend checking out the posts on RetroRGB by Sega Saturn Shiro, and of course, follow the links there to both their site and others if you want more information on each of them. But here's a quick rundown. Every year, there's a game competition where people could submit their software for the Saturn. But this isn't just a game competition. Any kind of dev tools and, and demo, demo scene type stuff is also accepted and highlighted. And that's so important because from a gamer user point of view, I'm, I'm sure the winners are always going to be games that we could actually play and enjoy. And you don't have to be a dev in order to appreciate but the dev stuff still gets highlighted and celebrated. And that's such a big deal to me because so often things like that, you know, if you're not a developer, don't seem that important until all of a sudden you realize, oh, I just used one of those tools to convert a save game. Or, oh, hey, isn't that cool blanket demo? Uh, isn't that the new physics used in that new game that I'm playing from them? Like, it's one of these things that might not be a big deal to the general Saturn audience in the moment, but it could very well be, and I love that they took the time to highlight all of them. 
Not only that, Pat did like a six hour long live stream where he demoed all of the games and had the creators of the different entries in the chat to discuss different things about them, uh, you know, some of the development process and just kind of to hang out and highlight the developers behind all of this stuff, which is another thing that's pretty awesome. And on top of that, Nick from Pandemonium Reviews did like an hour and a half long video that demoed every one of them. So my suggestion to you is if you want to experience these yourself, maybe flip on either the live stream or Nick's video or both if you're a major Saturn fan and kind of just listen and look and maybe, uh, you know, especially for the six hour live stream, you could treat it the way I do. And I mean this respectfully, of course, where I like have that on on my computer while I'm over here doing some whatever crazy lag MD4EA testing or whatever I'm working on. And whenever I see something or hear something that really catches my attention, I'll stop and run over and kind of rewind it and and then take away from that what you think might be your favorite entries and then go download them and try them yourself on your Saturn or hopefully someday this year, the Mr. as well. So overall, very exciting weekend for Saturn fans. Thank you so much to Saturn Dave and Nick for taking care of helping everybody uh, get more information out the, about this outside of the Sega Saturn Shiro community. Thanks to Pat for doing a six-hour-long live stream. Um, and for the record, this is exactly the type of stuff I've been getting so excited about the past few weeks. Dave did an awesome job putting up these two posts that just kind of give everybody a basic info. Like, hey, you know, retro RGB readers, here's what's going on this weekend. If you don't care about the Sega Saturn, skim through. Maybe you're still interested. And if you do, come back to our site where we're going to overload you with everything Saturn-related you could imagine. I love that. It's exactly what I hope RetroRGB becomes and evolves into. It's just a centralized place where we could all kind of figure out you know, things that we, we like, we all like. Uh, and then if it's more of a niche thing, it'll lead you down a rabbit hole to somebody else's channel, website, blog, whatever else. And uh, you could kind of dive in there. So very excited to, to have all of these amazing people help out. And I hope this accomplished the goal of really promoting everybody at the same time. Uh, also, I think this post here, uh, the one with the all of the summary of everything, or maybe both of these posts will have the winners. Um, I think that spreadsheet is still being finalized as I'm recording this, which is why it's not up here now. But by the time you're all seeing this, it should be in the description. So you could just click and see who the winners are. But I think you all know what cheesy shit I'm about to say. The winner for me is whatever is your favorite for you. So, you know, if you have one thing that really stands out to you, just, you know, make sure to, to remember that the, the Shiro crew did a good job highlighting all of them so you could choose yourself. So I really am this cheesy with stuff like that. This isn't like some some dumb act. All my friends will tell you I'm just a, a loudmouth drunk that does get cheesy and sappy sometimes. So thanks to everybody who submitted anything because I just, I appreciated all of them. And not, they're not all going to be my favorite game. Don't think I'm going to spend the rest of my life replaying the Santa dating sim over and over again, but I love that it exists and the artwork looked cool and everything else looked cool on it as well. So it's just a very cool time to be a retro gamer. The OSSC Pro has unfortunately been officially delayed and put on hold while the global part shortage kind of finds its way to an end, but the add-on for the DE10 Nano, the root of the Mr. Project, is still in progress. So give me a minute to do a full rundown on this because I think a lot of people would really be interested in what exactly it is that's going on and why it happened. So first, the OSSC Pro is delayed. It's put on hold 
uh, until parts come back in stock in a way where they could sell it at a reasonable price and in a reasonable quantity, which I think is the right move. Now, I'm not Marcus and Matt. I can't speak for them personally, but from the outside looking in, it seems like Marcus was finalizing the design as the part shortage was ramping up. And then by the time the design got finalized, uh, all the parts were crazy prices and it just wasn't a good time to invest in it. And of course, you could always say, oh, you should have looked ahead and bought a thousand of those FPGAs, but anybody in the hardware dev world knows that there's always a chance that you get to 95% done, hit 96% and realize, oh man, everything would be so much better if I just switched this chip, or that chip's not going to work because of this, or there's always that chance, which when you're not in a global part shortage, it usually just means another board revision, a bomb change, and one more quick round of testing. But in times like today, that could be catastrophic. You could lose a ton of money if you pre-ordered all of those things. Um, you could put out a subpar product if you forced your way to the end and realized that wasn't the right choice. So you need to do something else. So I think they made the right move, kind of just putting things on hold, which of course also gives Marcus more time to work on the firmware and to kind of focus on other things. Because while there is some very friendly competition going on now, I do think that every of these, every one of these scalers has their own niche, which it would fit perfectly for. And we'll of course have to wait for the Morph and the OSSC Pro to be announced or to be officially released and in the hands of people. But, you know, my guess is that the HDMI input of the Morph is going to be a big deal for a lot of people with HDMI devices and the use with retro computers and the basic line multiplication functions, which are very high quality on the OSSC Pro would probably be the best for people that have a whole bunch of weird stuff that, you know, might not be as commonly supported. And of course the Tink 5X is always going to be an awesome choice, but I do think that's going to continue to be one of the best for people that just want to plug their stuff in and start playing. And, you know, Mike added a ton of features, but it's still just just a plug-and-play device if you want it to be, which is awesome. So I'm sad that the OSSC Pro is delayed, but I do think it was the right decision just based on everything going on today. Uh, and I understand why Matt and Marcus chose to put that on hold. So it sucks for people that were waiting for it, but you know it's probably the right decision. However, a very cool spinoff of this, Marcus has designed a board called the DEX VD ISL, which I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to call it the DEX because that's a ridiculous name and it sounds like I'm talking about somebody named DEX who just got the cra crabs or something like that. So the DEX um, is an add-on board for the DE10 Nano. And that will allow you to either uh, double purpose your mister, so you unplug your IO board and plug this on, or possibly even add it on at the same time. I'm not sure if that, uh, I haven't used one yet, so I don't know if that's possible. But it turns the DE10 into a scaler that's very close in performance to the OSSC Pro. So if you, you, you could use its SCART input for either SCART, um, for component video, and I believe... Uh, you should be able to also use it for VGA. You would just have to use something like the HD15 Discart or or any kind of powered sync combiner. And that will allow you to do all of the basic same things that you could have done with the Pro just on the analog input. So the, the line multiplication and doubling is amazing. It was absolutely phenomenal quality when I tested it. And it should be about the same on this. But more importantly, it's going to be a lot less expensive because it is more of a dev kit feel, although the community will always come up with awesome case designs. So many amazing makers that I always try to highlight all the, all the people, all the good people making the best stuff. Um, 
And also, though, it's using the DE10 Nano's FPGA. So if you already own a Mister and you want to have a dual-purpose device, or if you could hunt down a DE10, that's kind of up to you. So if you're able to find one at a decent price, if you're stuck paying current going rate for it, that that kind of takes the pressure off Marcus. In that, you know, you provide the FPGA, and you know Marcus will provide the code and the uh, the ability to scale those analog signals. So. Uh, I think both are positive. Of course, I wanted to see the OSSC Pro release just like everybody else did. But overall, I think it's it's a positive thing if you take the entire situation into consideration. Um, hopefully, I'll be able to get one of those DEX boards soon so I could just start testing and, and confirm that it is as good as what I saw with the OSSC Pro. Um, you know, dev stuff like that is always really great for niche scenarios as well. So I'm sure as we're using it, we'll find even more uses for something like that. Uh, and of course, as always, I'll keep everybody updated as to the progress of the Pro. Some people always get annoyed that I don't talk about it enough, but I don't think it's necessary to say still no update still no update <laughs> you could follow the forums and you could follow video game perfection as well for a slightly more up-to-date um, being kept in the loop on it but we always make sure that when there's real news and something like this you hear about it so uh, as soon as any word from marcus comes about the pro or the decks then i will let everybody know but until then check out the forums or just uh, subscribe to the video game perfection newsletter to be kept in the loop Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video highlighting new aluminum shells for the Nintendo Switch Lite. And the overall conclusion Tito came to was that if you're a fan of metal shells for your handhelds, this thing is awesome. However, it requires a ton of disassembly, reassembly, and of course the giant pain of removing the original LCD screen, which can be made easier with certain tools that Tito shows and a lot of patience, but it's something to note before getting into this. A few things to note about the video that I thought were fun. First, I assumed that I was going to listen to the opening, fast forward through it, and then get to the conclusion, just because I don't really have plans to disassemble this. But the video is also kind of doubles as a Nintendo Switch Lite disassembly guide, where Tito does a great job, like he usually does, showing you how to disassemble it. But you really could use this as a step-by-step -step walkthrough if you needed to just open up your Switch Lite. And it was also kind of like an ASMR modding type of video, where I just kind of get sucked into it and really enjoyed just... Like, it actually relaxed me watching the video. <laughs> so, you know, this is one of those things where even if you don't care about the case as much, maybe give this one a shot if you like stuff like that, of course. Also, Tito announced that he'll soon be selling uh, T-shirts, hats, and other merch. I, I was um, gently nudging him to try to get a hoodie, preferably black slimming and um also will be selling these shells as well i guess the creator reached out to him and said hey do you want to review it and also i don't know any place to sell it would you want to sell it so he's going to give that a try as well um you trolls are welcome to say that you know he's self-promoting in the video but it's exactly what i would have wanted he completely showed the entire thing fairly um and you could make your decision if you want to buy it or not so i have zero issues with somebody promoting their own stuff when it's done fairly and in such an awesome way like tito did but you know well, i guess we'll see uh i guess we'll see how the internet responds to that but i think it's awesome and while i'm not a handheld gamer i always almost always use my switch in docked mode i know a ton of people that are that would probably love this thing so um i'll ask tito if you wouldn't mind either updating this post or just making a new post on retro rgb when they're available um and if you want up-to-date stuff follow him on twitter and also just 
check retro RGB on a daily basis and see if any new posts come up. I'll make sure to tweet about that as well, just because I think there's going to be quite a few people that would want this Switch shell. Um, even though it's probably really time consuming to swap out, you know, it seems like a, a pretty neat thing to have. So check out the post in his video for more information, and I'll keep everybody updated when they go up for sale. Good news for RetroTINK users that don't own a Windows-based PC. Developer Ryan Mullen has just created a Python script that will update your firmware for you. And it is super easy. It does involve the command line, but this is about as easy as you could get. And I genuinely don't think it's any different than using the Windows GUI, at least the first time or two that you do it once you get used to it. So the very quick rundown, there are four parts. Set up your computer. So exactly like with the Windows GUI version, you need to install the driver and you need to install software. And the software in this case is Python. And on the MacBook that I was using, all I had to do was open a terminal window and copy and paste the code from the GitHub and hit enter. That's it. The installation was as easy as copy, paste, enter, nothing else. You know, it took about 10 minutes. I came back, uh, then I rebooted and that's it. That's part one, set up your computer pretty much the same as on Windows. Um, you just got to copy and paste something rather than double click or download a file and double click to install. So equally as easy there. Then you need to, of course, download the RetroTINK firmware that you're looking to flash. Uh, I showed the trick of just renaming it something shorter to make it easier to type, but you don't have to. Then you have to put your RetroTINK in update mode. And that's where I most mostly run into problems with this. As I showed in the other RetroTINK update video, it's very easy to have your hand slip off the button or to hit a button before you start updating it. So if you run into any issues, either reboot or double or unplug your RetroTINK and plug it back in and make sure it's in update mode, but it's there's no more or less chance for error using this or the Windows GUI. And then the very final thing to do is just run a code in the terminal that, uh, that also includes the hex file. I show you how to do that in the video. Super, super easy. Um, it, it's, it's pretty much as easy as the GUI. The only difference is uh, you have to just, you know, change the directory and type in a code. So, uh, you know, I know the command line is intimidating for people who haven't used it, or if you're a grumpy old man like me, it was your only choice from birth for the first like five or six years of using a computer, and you might be sick of it, but it's not like that this time. This is really one of these copy and paste scenarios where all you do is change the file name and it is super easy. So thank you very much to Ryan Mullen for doing this. Um, maybe somebody will create a GUI for it, but I don't really know if that's necessary. And just another quick note, uh, it is totally workable on Linux. I made the very silly joke about how Linux users won't need a tutorial because they already know everything. And jokes aside, the Linux community did jump in and give a couple of really great tips. You might need to use sudo in front of the command. Uh, there's different things for different Python versions. So thank you, Linux people, for both getting the joke and for helping. I appreciate both of those things. So yeah, uh, very awesome that Mac users have an easy way to update their firmware, as do Linux users, and there's an alternative on Windows, should you ever, for some reason, want to do it that way. But overall, this is awesome. Very appreciative to Ryan Mullen for putting this up. Uh, and always thankful to Mike for continuing to release new firmwares containing cool stuff that makes us want to run out and update them. This week's Monday podcast was an interview with Chris from Displaced Gamers, who is somebody that I think has taught us all something in retro gaming. His videos on aspect ratios, as well as programming for NES games, have been pretty awesome and something I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, I did 
from the moment the podcast started, admit that I am not smart enough to understand a lot of these things, but I am very appreciative that Chris takes the time in his videos to make it so that almost anybody with some patience could get it. Some of his videos do eventually get over my head, but the concepts are all clear, and I do very much enjoy watching them, and so do a lot of other people, apparently, because his channel's growing. So uh, congrats to him for a growing channel, and you know, thanks to all of you who, who do the usual like and subscribe on these things, because if you like someone's work, the only way they're going to continue to do it is if you share it and let other people know. So uh, thanks very much to Chris for doing the interview. It was very cool, laid back. We just discussed nerdiness like usual and had a good time. Um, and definitely check out the videos that he's been releasing lately because there's a whole bunch of really good stuff on there. And I hope to someday be able to go back and re-highlight them because he started posting videos before I started putting articles on retro RGB or news-ish articles like this. So I would love to see a lot of the, the other videos be reposted here with maybe a new explanation as to why that's still 100% relevant, just because I think people that are not familiar with this channel might really be into this stuff, especially if you're into any of the crazy hardware or software that we talk about right here on Retro RGB. Okay, time for this week's Mr. Updates Care of Lose Retro Source. First of all, there's a PC8801 core for the Japanese computer by NEC, and this is a popular computer in Japan that had a lot of game developer support from companies like Sega, Enix, Square, Konami, and a whole bunch of others. So that's available if anybody needs it. Um, RMC just posted a video showing how to load games by scanning original game boxes, which I just think is so cool. I know a lot of software developers are under the mindset of like, why do you need an original piece of hardware when you can just load it? But I politely have to disagree. I, I like both sides of it. For me, the nostalgia end is for the original cartridges and boxes and manuals and just gaming is what I, you know, is a whole other factor of it that for me doesn't really have much nostalgia past the first two minutes that you're playing. Once you get a couple minutes into a game, you're playing because you like the game, period. So uh, I love that RMC figured out a way to marry these two things together. So you could take your original boxes, scan them, and Mr. will load the game. Very cool. Uh, I'm really looking forward to messing with stuff like that as well. Um, there's been some more updates for the PlayStation Core. Sound is finally working. Not for all games, but it's a very good start, and Robert is making progress like crazy, like usual. So we, um, all, we should all just give a, a quick shout-out to Robert. And as always, if you have the ability to, please consider signing up for any of your favorite devs' Patreons. Uh, or if you're not in the position to, at least consider telling anybody you know that might really care about that stuff. But Robert also uh, addressed the RAM issue, which Lou clearly laid out in this post. Um, there is still a chance that if you want 100% accurate emulation that you would need two RAM modules, not one bigger one. And the reason is because of bandwidth. Each of the RAM modules can only support a certain amount of data throughput at a time. So the second RAM module might be required for that. But at the moment, Robert thinks that while there would be some audio delays Technically, it's on the analysis level and not on the gameplay level. So it wouldn't be like using a Genesis Classic where you press the jump button, go pour yourself a beer, use the bathroom, wash your hands, come back, and then you hear the sound on the screen. Uh, it's one of those things that could only really be measured with like an oscilloscope or test software. So um, that's only going to be an issue for maybe if there's more advanced cores that you would need to RAM modules. But the issue with that is if you have an analog I.O. board, 
you're already using the extra pins. So the good news is that for gamers out there, we should be able to still use this and potentially for speedrunners as well, because, you know, a tenth of a second of an audio delay not only isn't hearable by human ears in most cases in, in this setup, uh, but it's also not going to affect the gameplay itself. So at the moment, there could still change, there could still be new things, but it looks like the gaming experience will be spot on with one RAM module, but it just might not be considered 100% accurate without both. My opinion, that's totally cool. But once again, it's still in progress, so things could change. Who knows? Uh, Robert might get to the end of the project and find out new information, discover new things, have other ideas. Uh, but we do like to keep people in the loop because there's always the talk about, will you need two RAM modules for certain cores? So we'll figure it out. Um, also, Hotego released two new public cores for Konami Super Basketball in YR Kung Fu. Uh, there's also been work on the Neo Geo Pocket Core that he's been working on, and he says he at the moment he's only been working on the CPU and has it at about 58% complete, so that's great progress in my opinion. Um, there's also a Toa Plan Twin Cobra uh, project being worked on, and while there's no code for it yet, the team has the game's sprite circuitry transcribed from the board schematics. And they've also been working on a potential future Sly Spy Core, um, which is, you know, if you think about all of these updates that Hotego and his team are working on, if things kind of go together, like there's a chip that they were able to reverse engineer, and then they realize, oh, these other boards we've been working on have this chip too, that's kind of how a lot of these other things get added to the project. So it's not like he's stopping work on one to go work on another. The, a lot of these things kind of flow together, and it's very cool that they're paying attention to it. Um, and also, uh, Hotego fixed a bug that made King of Dragons run at the wrong speed on CPS-1. So now King of Dragons runs at the, the proper 10 megahertz instead of 12, which is you know, a cool tweak if you're a fan of the game. Uh, and there's also some smaller updates, um, like fixes to the Amiga core. Uh, and there's also, I believe it came out right after Lou posted this, but there's some... Uh, the Atari 2600 core is being rolled into the 7800 core. Check out Lou's video next week for more info on that. I'm sure he'll be covering it, but that's not a bad thing. You're not losing anything. It's just kind of like loading a Game Gear game through the SMS core or something like that. Um, and of course, uh, Trash Uncle has just posted more video filters and shadow masks, as well as a quick tutorial on how to do it. Um, and I was bothering him on Twitter, and he very graciously slapped that video together to teach myself how to use it. Uh, and, you know, I, this is not a complaint. It's just um, just a PSA or something that the, all of this stuff is in progress. So it's so easy to load up the, you know, the latest version of Mr. Like run, run your update all script, try to go and use the shadow masks and CRT filters and go, this makes no sense. Why would they do it this way? Why wouldn't they do it that way? And if you'd been following every step of the way, it makes complete sense why it's evolved this way, and they're not done. So I do think that profiles would be the best way for the general public, or general mystery users at least, to experience this, so that you could just do video profile, and you could just do, you know, select which one you want, and then under advanced options, if you want to adjust it the way it is now for further fine-tuning, that's cool. Now that's just my opinion, but opinions aside, the whole thing's still in the midst of evolution. So uh, it's very easy to be like, that's confusing, that's dumb, but it it's part of the evolution of the whole project and the team is always tweaking things. So I would actually say the opposite. Props to them for always tweaking, not 
Why is this so confusing? It is a little confusing, but Trash Uncle's got you covered. Check out that video that's linked at the bottom of Lou's post. Uh, and that just about covers it for this week's uh, Mr. Updates. Thanks again to Lou for taking care of all of this. And please make sure to subscribe to his channel on YouTube and uh, follow him wherever available so you can get more up-to-date news um, if possible. So about a year ago, a YouTube channel called The Brickster posted a full remastering of, I believe it was the Super Mario World soundtrack. And I honestly can't remember if we covered it here. I think we discussed it behind the scenes, but there was a few things still in progress. Uh, and Chris was nice enough to swing back around and, and put this into perspective for us in a post. But to summarize it, there is a group of people out there that are taking original samples from Super Nintendo games and recreating the original sounds. So I'm going to oversimplify here, and my apologies to anybody who works on these complicated and amazing projects, but to make sounds on a Super Nintendo, samples were taken from sometimes sample discs, sometimes a bunch of other sources, and then they were converted into a format that the Super Nintendo could play. So usually heavily compressed, um, changed around a little bit, and then mixed in with other samples. And like discussed in the Remute interview, which I highly recommend you listen to if you're into any kind of electronic music, because he talked in detail a lot about this stuff, but basically you would take those samples and then load them into memory, and now the game would have those samples to pull from. So it's almost like allowing yourself a handful of sounds, and then you could put those sounds together during the game to make the music and effects and stuff like that. Well, what the Bricksters team has done is found those original samples and used the uncompressed original versions to create soundtracks for it. And this is one of those things where there's a lot of like MSU1 sound updates for the Super Nintendo that allow you to have like the orchestral soundtrack for A Link to the Past instead of the original, or maybe the A Link Between Worlds soundtrack instead of the original. And I love all of those, but... I think I like this more because it is the original soundtrack. It's just uncompressed version of the samples. So the fact that they're taking time to do this and the fact that, of course, the, the SNES modding community has been making some MSU1 patches are really awesome. So what, what the whole community together has done with this stuff, the Brickster's team and the point of Chris's post is talking about uh, reverse engineering of the samples to create these soundtracks in the way they were before they were compressed down for use on the consoles. And then other aspects of the gaming community are taking the soundtrack and turning it into ways to use it on a real Super Nintendo via a ROM cart or via emulation. Nothing on the mystery yet, which is a shame because these are pretty impressive and a really really cool way to experience the soundtracks. So any more information on this, you could check out Chris's post for just a basic overview of it. I strongly recommend checking out the uh, the Brickster's channel. And I believe the things they're working on next are Pokemon Heart and Gold, part, Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Sorry, I always get those wrong. But um, yeah, so I would uh, I would check that whole thing out if you're into it. And it's just very impressive work because it's just, you know, a way to experience the same thing that you may have always had, but in a completely new and, and interesting way. So let's cross our fingers and hope the Mr. Team has time at some point to add MSU sound support, MSU one sound support for this exact reason, as well as other amazing stuff like the BSL to patches. The company Hori is asking for our opinions on a new retro focused arcade stick combination spinner trackball and a bunch of other cool things. 
I do want to take a minute to talk about this, but I do also want to say that if you only use a controller and you have no desire whatsoever to talk about arcade sticks, trackballs, or anything else, then you might want to drop off. There's not going to be anything important after this one. Um, but I, if you are into this, or even if you're kind of interested in what's going on and why they're asking, sit through it. Um, let's, let's see how long I take to get through it here. But if you don't care, just drop off. I don't want to waste your time. I mean that in a nice way. Uh, anyway, so Hori wants to know what we as a retro gaming community are looking for in an arcade stick or multiple sticks or a combination of things. And they showed a couple of different renders of things that they were working on and things that they could do. And I wasn't too clear about what the exact goal is. Are they asking us to only choose one of the products? Are they just asking for our feedback to see if it's worthwhile to make multiple products? But the one thing I saw that really caught my eye that really made me think they're onto something is a modular version. And just a very polite and hopefully humble reminder that I am not an expert in any one aspect of controllers, control sticks, or trackballs, but I am lucky enough to work with some amazing pro fighting players that I've always listened to their feedback. I always listen to what they're looking for. But at the same time, being the middleman of retro RGB, I also am able to hear what just people who want to play their games want. And I truly think that Hori could hit a happy medium as long as price allows. But what I would love to see is the modular design come to light. Now, if they want to make the individual ones too, I'm sure people would buy them. But um, imagine a controller. And if you're, you know, if you're watching on video, you'll see the picture here. If you're listening on audio, I'm going to walk you through it anyway. But imagine a controller where the middle piece is the buttons. So you have a center piece uh, that's buttons, all of the electronic controls, uh, the outputs, and all of that. And then you could have modules snap on to the left and right sides. And with that, I would actually suggest it's an eight button center, just so you could have people with different combinations of Neo Geo buttons or whatever else. But then on the left and right, you could plug whatever you wanted into in, in any way. So plug it on the left side and maybe you have just an arcade stick plugged into the left and buttons in the middle and that's it, you're done. Maybe you also want to connect a trackball to one side or the other. Maybe you want to have a flight stick, which they didn't show, but I, hopefully they would consider that. Maybe you want to have two flight sticks, one on each side for like a twin stick mech warrior thing. But I think the modular design is really important because this way you could make one set of things that could be used in anybody's different combination. The only things that I think are really necessary about this are, first of all, make sure build quality is decent. I'm being realistic in that you know, while I love my my Vulix controller, which is just this massive, giant, you know, 95-pound controller, uh, I, I love that, but that's not for the general public. No, you know, most people aren't going to just buy this giant, heavy thing to use to play games, but don't make it a plasticky kid's toy. You have to have a happy medium of where if you have it on a desk, it could withstand a fighting game. I understand that a modular design might not be locked in, so if you play on your lap, you might still get some bend on it. So it might not be for the extreme pro, but keep in mind that people who care about gaming will use this. So make sure it's nice and solid. 
The other thing that I think is incredibly important is make sure you have good quality components inside. Um, you know, you want people to be able to choose what stick and buttons they want. So you don't want some proprietary thing. You want Sanwa buttons or, or the standard concave buttons, and you want different kind of stick options for people. So that way you don't have to worry about modding something you just bought. You could either buy the version you'd like or crazy pro players would probably mod it anyway, but I love them because they're just as nuts as I am. So that's fine anyway. Um, and, you know, same thing with the spinners and the trackball. Make sure they're good quality and make sure they're things that people really feel like they're using an arcade, not a plasticky toy that could break if you, you know, if you spin it too fast or something like that. The spinners especially, people are very sensitive to those and you need one that's weighted that does the proper movements of either locked or infinite spin like you would with Tempest. Uh, you want a low latency USB controller, which as far as I know, doesn't add cost because there are a lot of dirt cheap controllers compared to expensive controllers that uh, Porkshop Express has tested on the Mr. Input, uh, Input Latency database that perform amazing. So I don't think it would add a lot of cost to make sure to use the right USB controller that could be used along with Mr.'s low latency polling, and just use one that's also compatible with everything, like those cheap controllers already are. So you could plug it into a Raspberry Pi, a Windows emulation machine, and some modern consoles as well. Of course, support for modern consoles is awesome, but they specifically said this is like a retro thing, so that's the necessity for the retro side of things. Um, uh, also, you know, if you want to cater to the crazy market, you could have a DB15 connector for people using super guns, but I totally understand that that's a little too crazy. Uh, you know, if cost allows, cool, but, you know, that's one of those things where if, if you would only raise the cost of the stick by like two or three dollars, throw it in, but if that's going to add ten dollars cost, don't, like, don't charge everybody ten dollars for what the crazies like me would want on there. Um, and, uh, the only other thing, I, I guess, is just make sure that it's sized so adults and kids can use it. Um, I've seen some designs of controllers that are tiny, and if you have little hands, uh, or if you're a child, that's totally fine, but if you got a big bear claws, you're not going to want to play on something like that. You're going to get your hands cramped. So happy medium, or maybe extenders, or whatever else, but I love the idea. And I hope they listen to us and I hope they take all of these ideas as well as the rest of the community's ideas and put them together to something that's cost effective and gives us what we want. Because it's so easy to just make something with a million options that's $1,000. The tricky part is to find that happy medium. And only Hori could do that because they know what their manufacturing is going to cost. They know their, their supply chain and everything else. So maybe all of my crazy ideas are perfectly reasonable because they could just make the modulized parts in the quantities they think they'll sell and just make a ton of the central pieces, or maybe my ideas are ridiculous and they're not going to do them. I don't know, but I'm going to share them anyway, as long as, as well as this podcast with them. So um, if you have any of your ideas that you want, please email Hori. They asked you to, that's, they set up an email account just for that, uh, which I put at the bottom of the post. Or if you agree with my ideas, send them this post and a link to the podcast and just say, hey, there's a fat bearded guy from America that has some decent ideas for this. But either way, I'm just very happy they're asking the community because so many times bigger companies will release something and everybody in the community will unanimously go, why did they do that? Did they not ask a single person what they wanted? And now they did. 
So good on them. Thanks to Hori for doing this. And I hope in a few months from now to be reviewing an awesome new modular stick that could be used with Mr. On, uh, and on Raspberry Pi games and on a PC. And I hope I could test a spinner controller and a spinner stick for games like Akari Warriors and even just also use it to enjoy playing Mortal Kombat. So we shall see. Well, that's it for this week. There was a whole bunch of things I really wanted to talk about this week, and I hope I hit that happy medium of giving people enough information to form their own opinions and make their purchase decisions versus not rambling too much. I try really hard to hit that middle sweet spot, and sometimes if I feel like I'm rambling and I cut it too short, I get a whole bunch of questions that week because I didn't talk in detail. And of course, every time I talk too long... You all tell me. I'm not worried about that. But as always, if you have any thoughts on this, definitely post your your thoughts and comments. Um, I take them all to heart. I take all the ones that are worded even remotely politely down to heart. Um, respectfully, I do listen to them. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm just going to switch and, and do what you said. Uh, but I do listen to your feedback and take it seriously. Uh, so as always, thank you to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments. Thank you again for to JLC PCB for sponsoring again this week. Hope Hopefully they're in for the long haul because I do like them and I do want to continue working with them. And especially thank you to all of you who support in any possible way, whether it's the monthly support services, tipping, telling your friends about the the monthly support services, whatever it is, you are the people who keep this alive and keep it going. So thank you all so much and I'll see you next week.